Hello everybody and welcome to a new edition of Thinking Aloud about film. Today we're looking at Hu Xiaoshen's sixth film from 1984, A Summer at Grandpa's. So Richard, why don't you tell us the plot and what most interested you about the film? Sure, so as with Boys from Funkai, it's another kind of slice of life really. It's these two two very young kids, boy and a girl, they're from Taipei. Their mother is very ill and they're sent away for the summer to live with their grandparents. And after that summer, nothing will ever be the same again, as they say. And uh, they go through various experiences. They experience the adult world. There's various tangential events involving crime, involving affairs. And the kids don't really understand what, what is actually happening. But you come to understand that as the viewer. And then, you know, it's the end of the summer and they, the mother recovers and they go home. There's a lot of layers to it. There's, it it's brilliantly filmed, as with Bryson from Quay. Yes, one of the things that I liked about it is how well structured it was, how the film creates those layers that you're talking about. You know, how from the first scene, the mother's in the hospital, she's actually very ill. So that's the reason why the kids are sent to be with the grandparents. So, you know, that threat of losing the mother you know, overhangs the film. I like the way that, you know, once they arrive in town, the uncle has lost them. You know, they're not only under threat from losing the mother, but also from the carelessness of family. They come out of the station, and this is something I identified with, actually, you know, because I used to go spend my summers at grandma's, and it was a real city-country thing. You know, and kind of when you were very, very young, there was almost no barriers, right? And But there was also a kind of barrier in the sense that the city kids were always taken advantage of. So, you know, the boy arrives in town with this truck that he handles through remote control, right? And, of course, he trades it in for a turtle. And of course, turtles are a dime a dozen in the country, right? Like so. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love that because, yeah, he, he sort of trades the, the, the truck for a turtle and the other kids are like... Wow, he really did yeah. it. And then, like, the next day, they all turn up and turtles. they've all got a turtle. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Oprah Winfrey, you're all going to get a truck. You know, you, they've all got like 10 turtles. It's like, okay, well, what are you going to give yeah. us? Um, yeah, I, I really like that. And actually, I really like that aspect with the, the, the this sort of instant friendship between him and the and the, and the, and the, the country boys i mean there's a real bittersweet ending when he when he, when they leave the town and he's sort of saying oh you know i'll be i'll be back and i'll see you again and you kind of know that he he will be back but he probably won't see them again because by the time he's a teenager he, he's not playing with those kids uh, but you, you see the same thing at the beginning when he's on the train station yeah. and, and sees one of his classmates on the opposite platform and they're kind of wave, waving because they're heading in different directions and it's like, oh yeah we'll we'll keep in touch over the summer and this will happen and that'll happen. And of course, the, you know, this kid's never mentioned again because these are eight-year-olds and it's like you make friends and you find new friends all the time. You know? I mean, I think it's wonderful the way that it's structured. I love the way, for example, when they leave the train station and all you see is the truck and you see this, this truck maneuvering around, you know, and then you see the, the children's feet. And of course, it's, their middle classness is emphasized yeah, by their shoes by how white their stockings are and how high they go up to, right? And, of course, they see, you know, these kids playing in the water, like, uh, across the street. And then you think there's going to be a culture class, you think there's going to be danger, but actually, no. Yeah, they, you know, they begin to play instantly. 
the threat is minimized, and even the threat of the uncle, because, you know, the uncle goes home, realizes the children aren't there, he sneaks out, and the most he's worried about is that his father will be angry at him for having lost the kids, <laughs> right? So, you know, kind of that immediately puts you at ease. It's going to be one kind of film, not another, yeah? Um, so, and then the film is built up just of all of these little incidents, like you said, you know, the children losing the clothes, or actually, it's it's more interesting than that, because... The, the sister, who's very young and who seems watchful and who in many ways is stereotypically not allowed to play like Tutti in uh, Meet Me in St. Louis. And she's clearly also got a mean streak because she throws all the clothes in the river. Yeah, gets them full of shit from the cow. <laughs> but who has her own awakening in terms of her relationship with the disabled woman. This and the following two films, they're all based on childhood experiences of, of some of the creatives. So Time to Live and Time to Die is based on Hu Xiaoshen's childhood uh, and adolescence. And this is, it's apparently based on an incident from the childhood of Chu Tianwen, who is the writer who also wrote Boys from Quay, but she, who, who is a, a woman. So possibly the central character is actually the little girl, not the little boy, right? Well, the little boy is given more screen time but the little girl undergoes a larger transformation. Yeah. I mean, she goes in clutching her doll and her, um, what's the, the her fan. Yeah, her fan. And she's not allowed to fit in. She's almost like a watchful presence, you know, throughout uh, the beginning of the narrative. But then this woman saves her from being run over by a train. And. Yeah. I, I, I audibly swore at that point when that happened. Why? When the, yeah. when, the, well, when the train appeared, I was just like, fucking hell. Because uh-huh. it was just a real, you kind of thought it might happen. But yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I also thought that, uh, you know. Well, I mean, my thinking was, I hope they don't kill her. It would be horrible if they killed her. So, spoilers, yeah. They don't kill her. Uh, <laughs> thank God. Um, but again, you see, I thought... Like, the film is so rich because it has all these dynamics. Mm. Yeah, there's clearly love and resentment with the brother. There's resentment about being left out, you, you know, of this uh, larger kid's world. Yeah, there's the gender thing. Then there's the bond with this woman, yeah, who, is, who has saved her, but actually who is needier and more vulnerable than she herself is, right? Um, and actually the whole incident with that woman you know, who, um, you know, is clearly sexually uh, free, Mm. uh, but that offends the neighborhood. And also, because she's disabled, people want to sterilize her. I mean, all those discussions, they were so fascinating because, you know, here is a community kind of having this fascistic control over a woman's body, right? Yeah, I mean, one one of those guys, I think, was her father... Yeah, because again, because you're because you're seeing everything through the. Although I, I was I was saying you're seeing everything through the eyes of the children, but that was a scene where the children weren't present. They weren't even present. Yeah. yeah, so that's interesting. So I'm wrong. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you're the people that are there are the father, the grandfather, other people who work at the clinic, and the grandmother, right? And they're all having a discussion about whether to sterilize her or not, and they all have a stake in one choice or another. You know, the father is worried that he can't continue to look after his disabled daughter. So if she has a child, you know, A, it might stop her from, you know, being so free on the streets. 
but also leave someone to look after her when he himself is gone, you know. And the other people just want to sterilize her because, you know, she's having sex with everybody and it'll happen again and again and again. And it, it, uh, it offends their, their mores. Um, so, you know, that's another kind of layer in which, you know, this benign doctor and, you know, family are exercising quite, you know, a good degree of, of power. Yeah, control. yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say he's that so, benign, actually, the grandfather. He's a bit of a, yeah, he, he's sort of, um, he's not this avuncular figure. Because they, no. when they when they arrive at the, when the kids arrive at the house, he doesn't speak, he doesn't speak. Um, and actually for a long, I, I was watching, you know, I was about 40 minutes into the film thinking, is, is this, is grandpa ever actually going to utter a line? Because <laughs> he was just yes. glaring at people. Um, and he, he, he does, but he has a very, you know, very difficult relationship with his, with his son, you know, the uncle who leads yes. the train. And, and at one point he, he's kind of threatening violence against the son. This is a kind of, the, the grandfather is presented as this very powerful, menacing, silent, patriarchal figure. Right. But then he's revealed to be really caring and avuncular and so on at the end. Yeah? Uh, um, so, again, just this thing of, you know, this layering. Um, but I think it's also important to talk about um, the children, because one of the things that I learned from reading this uh, fantastic uh, James Uden uh, uh, piece on Hu Shen is that uh, the secret, according to him, of uh, Hu Xiaoshen's, you know, style uh, was improvisation, yeah, and that he learned this in the green, green grass of home, so that his work with children, yeah, was one of the characteristics of his cinema, because the other thing, and, and this relates interestingly, so Taiwanese cinema was related to Hong Kong cinema, uh, they shared personnel, distribution, and so on, but uh, uh, Hong Kong cinema was much more expensive you know, than Taiwanese cinema, who was left with only, like, the dramatic films and the romance films, films without action, right, or special effects. And the reason was that they had to use as little film as possible because film in Taiwan, unlike in Hong Kong, was taxed as a luxury good, right? So one of the great weaknesses of Taiwanese cinema, even in these genres they could work within, was the performances, Right? And one of the things that uh, Hu Xiaoshan was able to do was get great performances from people. And the reason, it turns out, was what he learned in Green Green Grass of Home was that you just let children improvise, right? And they're more natural, right? So from then on, he would do these screenplays that were really highly structured, but actually in which ostensibly the actors were not given lines of dialogue. They improvised their own dialogue, right? According to whatever advice they were given, which then you know, not only makes the performances livelier, right, but it also adds a sociological dimension, yeah, you know, because these people are speaking as themselves from their own experience, from their own knowledges, yeah, from the particularities of where they grew up and how they speak and so on. So I thought that was, like, really fascinating, and you see it here, because the children are marvelous, yeah, yeah, yeah. and natural. Yeah, what oh, did you think? I thought, yeah, I thought the yeah, performances were great, and and again, very very much like Green Green Grass. Thought the kids were just came across as kids, you know, really, really natural. They weren't like stage school acting type kids. They were just very natural. I mean, it is interesting, I think, given that those first three films are often 
overlooked, and even by Ho Shan himself, they're, they're overlooked. Um, they're just viewed as oh, just these romantic comedies. But you can see how important Green Green Grass was um, mm. in terms of that, that improvisational style, but also in terms of the, you know, basically you, you, if you take out all of the um, Kenny B dancing and singing scenes from Green Green Grass of Home, you end up with something not too dissimilar from Boys from Fanquay or, or uh, Summer at Grandpa's. You know, it, it, it's there's not a a um, off, on or off switch that goes between the two. It, it's an evolution. One thing that's interesting that I read, I'll have to find the reference, is that until quite late on in his career, the the dialogue was was dubbed later. So uh-huh. uh, so even though he's improvising, the the dialogue is post synced. So that that's kind of intriguing given the improvisation that is intriguing yeah. uh, but it seemed to be a, again it seemed to be a technical issue with um you know not being able to afford the equipment to record location sound also if you have to be very strict about your use of film stock then that would make sense right because you can't do another take because the sound was off or a plane went over or, you know it also helps with his this style he's got of all these very long shots as in distant yes. shots of the characters, it's it, it's a lot easier to dub. <laughs> um, yes. So, um, you know, scenes where there's a lot of kids running around, if you just record afterwards the kids shouting, then mm. it's it's going to work. Let's pause a moment and, and, and think about, you know, what does the Summer of Grandpas have in common so far thematically with the films that we've seen so far? We'll come to his directorial signature of the toilet joke later on because there's plenty yes. of that. But the, uh, <laughs> um, the in fact, I think more. I was expecting them to decrease as he got became more mature director. But this had the most toilet jokes um, so far. But yeah, I think the the city versus the country is is it has been in all his films and and, and is in this one. Um, the uh, sort of you know parents and children, children growing up, and it, it's people not understanding each other's motivations you know it, I, I but yeah i i think certainly this and boys from funquay you can really see a, a clear link between the two yes i think so far almost every film we've seen has scenes in trains yeah and this one i think better edited and you know more elegantly shot uh you know than the previous ones i i noticed there's this shot where you know, the young girl is going to the train and there's a man walking into the horizon, right? And then the cut is the uncle and I presume his girlfriend walking towards the camera, right? So there's this neat kind of rhythmic kind of editing uh, that that you see. I also very much like the combination of a vignette uh, type of storytelling, yeah? In which kind of what you see are incidents, yeah? that happened to the children or yeah uh and it's it seems to uh meander there's a gentleness to the way that it's progressing um but it's never boring and the reason why is is because of you know what we talked earlier is this layering yeah the film's horizons keep expanding you know and and through drama right so you now have the drama of the uncle the drama of the criminals the drama of the disabled girl, yeah, the effects of all of this on the family with the mother's death, oh, sorry, illness overhanging everything, right? So, yeah, each of these little incidents of, you know, playing with a turtle or losing your clothes or, yeah, uh, watching a robbery take place, 
Yeah, seem to expand the world. Individually, all of those little vignettes, not none of them were things that you've not seen in, you know, a hundred other films, like the, the you know, skinny dipping your clothes get stolen and, uh, you know, you make some new friends in the country, you're annoyed with your sister, there's a local woman who you think is a witch or a man who you think is a ghost. Um, there's, uh, you know, you meet some, you, you you try and stop some robbers. I mean, that, that was kind of one level, a lot of that was straight out of, you know, Huckleberry Finn or whatever. But mm. I, I think the, the, the way this all works together in the film and the way it builds essentially what it's building up is a picture of these kids get, developing an understanding of the adult world which they haven't yes. quite developed by the end of the film but they are developing it and you yes. you develop it as the viewer and what i found with you know, to be honest at some points while i was watching it i was thinking oh here you know here's another thing here's another thing but then i sort of after the film had ended i was like oh my god wow because i actually found the ending really moving where he's yes. you know where they, they they get they get in the car the, you know, the father comes to pick them up and they, they're, they're leaving the town. He's, oh, no, I've just got to say bye to my friends. And he runs over and they're all swimming in the river again and he's shouting at them. Saying, I mean, they're, they're all just, they're not that interested. <laughs> they're just playing. And he, he's shouting, oh, you know, I'll be back and I'll see you again. And you and you know that, you know, he, he almost when certainly When he comes won. back, it'll be different. Yeah, because he's going to, they're, they're from a different class. When he comes back, he's going to be, for, firstly, it'll be for a shorter period because he'll just be visiting with his parents, but also he'll be older. He's going to the posh school and, and you know, it, it'll, it'll, it'll be very different. Um, yes. The class that I mentioned is never made a big thing of. No, but you know, but it's that. very clearly signaled. Yeah. He, well, one, one thing is, because one thing I, 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 I did notice, and it was a bit like um, the Fong Fei Fei with the hats, is the, 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 the boy had this really cool selection of T-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> With all these kind of little cartoon logos on, which I did, I did think someone should launch a kind of some of grandpa's t-shirt collection. I, you know, um, but they they were they were all just really cute. But like all all the yeah you know, the local kids were just wearing the same clothes every day. You know, every, him every scene he had a different t-shirt on. Um, you know, we'll probably find out he's like you know, Fong Fei Fei was the queen of hats. He's like Taiwan's t-shirt boy or something. But I think he isn't, but. <laughs> um, I was uh, really impressed again by the style of shooting. Uh, again, as you say, the style of it, similar to Boys from Fong Kui, it was sort of shot in a really interesting way. The, the, the scenes around the house, particularly where you're just seeing different frames and different people appearing in windows and doorways and up, up the stairwells. And, and you kind of imagine if that was a better print, that would have just looked amazing. Yes. But I want to talk a little bit about that, about the way that it's shot in the house. Because actually, you know, he, he, he does this wonderful thing of reframing and also of creating depth you know, in the shot, the stairs or corridors or, you know. But also, I thought this time, and it's part of signaling, you know, that you're seeing things from a child's point of view a lot of the time, is, you know, even when the children are not in the frame, like that discussion you know, that uh, the grandparents have with the father of the disabled girl. It's shot at an oblique angle, right? So, I mean, well, or rather, the camera seems head-on, but the room is at an oblique, and the light is at an oblique, right? And you get this feeling of a, of a child eavesdropping, yeah, or, yeah, hearing things that he, he or she might not be understanding just through, yeah, the obliqueness of the angle, yeah, and you know, the conversation taking place in one part of the frame, right? I thought that was like kind of really Yeah, I really liked that. And you, you'd see, you know, you, you'd sort of 
sometimes you'd be shooting and there'd be a, a kind of wall in 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 the middle and then you'd see people, yeah, people would move between the two and so you you there's he's kind of creating the idea that there's these two spaces on the on the screen and people can't see each other and and, uh, yeah. and also dividing the screen up with i mean there's some of the scenes outside like there's an amazing kind of standoff between the grandfather and the uncle uh, when he when they the, they found out that the uncle's got the um got the girl pregnant and they just stand off and they're kind of divided by trees or, or pillars or something in, in the in the frame it looked accidental right but it isn't you know it, it's mm. one of the things that other critics have picked up is you know that he often uh allows characters so he's got anticipatory space which is what it's called where there's nothing and actually it's space so that a character moves into it yeah and then does something you know so often like in his past films you'll see a doorway you know, and you you just let the space sink into your brain, and then actually the main character, whatever, walks in, or a motorcycle arrives in the doorway, and then they walk in. I, I did find a, like a YouTube video, which I'll, I haven't got a chance to watch yet, but it's basically Hu Shen shots with no people in. So it's just uh-huh. it's just kind of all those bits, just the okay. doorway. <laughs> well, that's interesting because so one of the arguments is that it's something that he borrows from uh, Ozu. Uh, I've seen Kitano use it as well. But in both Kitano and Ozu, it kind of evokes a kind of death or a melancholy or, you know, a nothingness. Yeah, characters disappear and there's almost like the film kind of whoosh. Yeah, it's like a, 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 a sadness, right? Whereas actually in this film, I never, I never experienced it that way. Right, so there's something the way about the way that he leaves that frame empty, that is not imbued with sadness or melancholy. Yeah, or do you find sadness and melancholy in that? No, I didn't find. I, I, I found it kind of. I found the ending moving, but not not, not particularly melancholy because you you sort of. Yeah, I mean, it's a happy ending because the, <laughs> the, yeah, the mother's recovered. Spoiler, but 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 it's it's the fact that that he's you know. You, just that because you just look and think back on your childhood and it's like yeah you just remember or you kind of vaguely remember people that you knew for a few months when you were eight and you thought you were going to mm. be really good friends forever and then you're not you know and because you never see yeah you know, they for whatever reason yeah, parents move away or they, do, or they move two streets away or whatever and you just don't see them um and I, and I think that kind of thing i just found really that that's why the end i thought really worked uh but mm. I, but yeah i think the you know there's tension in the film i didn't find, find sadness particularly in the film. Um, one of the things that I found interesting, again, in reading the James Uden piece was, you know, that uh, he talks about how in Hong Kong cinema, rather than using establishing shots, there's this way of filming where we, which he calls segment shooting, where, you know, you just have all these different shots and you put them together, right? And it's the equivalent of using an establishing shot, uh, which, you know, they don't have in, uh, or they didn't have until then in Taiwanese cinema. Uh, and what I was thinking about, certainly in this film, is that you don't have establishing shots in the traditional sense, yeah, where you then cut back, cut into them, you know, from different angles, and you're, you know, aware of the geography of the space. But you're always aware of the geography of the space. And actually, it, on top of that, it has a very strong sense of milieu, yeah, you know, that kind of landscape might not be filmed you know, in a traditional establishing shot, 
but actually you get a real feel and flavor for what the place is and who's in it and what area of action it's going to be deployed at. And do you, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's very, you know, it's very economical. I mean, the prince when you when they arrive at the um, when they arrive at the station in the small town, you get a shot of the kids, the two little kids who have just arrived against the the, 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 the gate. And then you get a shot of the other kids against the waterfall, and then you you never actually see those two together. I mean, probably shot completely separately, but you 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 completely understand what's going on and the relationship between everything. But also, it tells you quite a lot about the town, the size of the town, the fact that these eight-year-old kids are hanging around together by the by the railway. It tells you something about the town and and and, and how it all mm. fits together. Yeah, you, you do you you do just get a sense of of everything, and you get a sense of the. You know the difference between, which is, as you said, it's a small town rather than a village, but you, the sense of that compared to Taipei. Um, mm. um, the last thing I want to ask you was the music, mm. right? Because if in his first three films we have a very pop uh, soundtrack, I was actually surprised and moved by uh, the choice of classical music in the Boys from Feng Kui and this. Yeah, I mean. Do you have any um, observations on that? It, yeah, it was a very very different use of music. I don't think there was any popular music in this. It, 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 as you say, it was classical, and, and there was some. Um, the, the I mean, the, the music credit is is it was composed by Edward Yang, so the the original music ah. was by Edward Yang, who also um, plays the the father. Um, ah. So, which is, is as an aside. So yeah, Ed, I did not yeah, yeah. know that. So, Ed, Ed, so yeah, <laughs> Edward Yang plays plays the, it's quite a small role. He appears at the beginning, and at the end. So he's he's the, the father of these two kids, um, and he and he composed the music. I presume the music you hear at the end, um, and then the following year, Edward Yang directed Taipei Story, which starred Hao Shaoshan. So it's kind. Of, ah. I, I find that quite, yeah. The, the the idea of these, this group of filmmakers, and act, collaborating as as you know directors and actors and i mean it's almost they I, you know, they obviously went their separate ways but it's it's it is quite interesting that um that they're all so closely intertwined that way at, yes. at, at this point yes wonderful um so uh any final observations on the film well we need to, we haven't yet addressed the toilets um jokes go for it first we're gonna have to look into whether anyone's done any serious research on, on, on this but you know every film so far has had toilet jokes and this one is no exception there are more in this than in the previous ones so you know early early in the film the the little girl needs to needs to wee on the train and and you know, she and the boy's like well she, she's not gonna be able to, to wee while the train's moving and then and yeah she can't and everything uh -huh. all goes horribly wrong that happens then you get a scene where during the skinny dipping sequence where like one of the kids runs behind a bush to have a shit and um yes. <laughs> everyone said what's, what's he doing over there oh he's having a shit oh it stinks and then but my favorite was <laughs> at, at the end of the film the young the the grandfather goes to see the uncle and, and his girlfriend and the uncle is like lying on the ground screaming and you think that there's been some terror because he's been mixed up with these criminals and you don't think that something awful's happened and the girlfriend just says oh he's just he just uh, had his hemorrhoids he just had his hemorrhoids removed <laughs> it hurts every time he clenches <laughs> and the grandfather's like okay right now you're you're going to drive the two kids back to Taipei. There's um, also the incident with the with the cow. 
Yes, yeah, yeah, and yeah. The cow shits all over the kids' clothes, and, and yeah, so yeah. you know, it's it's. I I I do find this interesting that you know he's become an increasingly <laughs> serious filmmaker that he You're can't so that he can't let go of the toilet jokes. <laughs> yes, seaside humor uh, without sex. <laughs> um, all right. Um, so um, I I love it, and I'm I'm finding uh, the work increasingly interesting yeah i really you know i i if i get the opportunity to have to find a a better copy of this you know if it came out on blu-ray or was was re-released i'd I'd just be there like a shot yes all right uh so thank you very much for listening uh we are thinking aloud about films uh i'm jose i'm richard yes and thank you very much for listening bye-bye